Osiris. Sirius XM brings you the deepest variety of commercial free music for every genre and for every mood. Where you hear the biggest names in talk, entertainment, and comedy, and hundreds of hand curated music channels designed to fit every mood. Where you get news from every source. Where you can listen to the newly launched Fish Radio, in addition to Jam On. Grateful Dead Radio, Pearl Jam Radio, Tom Petty Radio, and many more. Where you can listen to top comedy channels such as Kevin Hart's Laugh Out Loud Radio, and Netflix is a Joke Radio, and Sports Talk Radio from Barstool, the ESPN, and more to keep you up to date on the latest news in the sports world. Most people think that you need a car to enjoy SiriusXM, but you don't. Subscribe now to listen outside the car, on your phone, online, and at home and get your first three months for just a dollar. Visit SiriusXM.com slash BTP to see offer details and to subscribe. Start listening today. SiriusXM, no car required. was young he made the wind and the sun and since then it's been a slow education Got that one idea again The one about dying Oh, 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 I'm lightning Oh, 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 I'm I'm David Goldstein. I am Brian Brinkman. And you are tuned into episode number 74 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. Generally speaking, this is the podcast in which Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish as a means of introducing the listener to other bands. 
These are usually not jam bands because, as you know, we love fish. We are fish fans. We love analyzing fish. Sometimes fish fans get a bit myopic and only focus on their favorite band and nothing else. And we're trying to do something about that with our podcast. We absolutely are. It's been the goal from day one. We love fish. We love all the fish fans. We love engaging with you all. Uh, but we love a lot of other music. And uh, we like to use the music of fish as a way to kind of inspire a deepening of everyone's Spotify playlist, band, band camp purchases, concert uh, attendances, what have you. And today is very much an episode in that spirit. Uh, it's somewhat of a somber episode for us, um, and I'm guessing for many of our listeners. Uh, about a week, two weeks ago, as time of publishing, um, we lost uh, one of our favorite songwriters, one of our favorite musicians, uh, and what just seems to be a really sweet and um, uh, just genuine person, uh, David Berman, who came to fame as the front man and the sole uh, member of uh, the Silver Jews. Uh, he went to college with Stephen Malcolmus and a couple other members of Pavement, recorded with them, recorded with a bunch of our other favorite artists the last 20 years or so, uh, including William Tyler. And then after taking a 10-year hiatus uh, in 2009, came back in 2019 with a new band called Purple Mountains and a phenomenal self-titled record that he had recorded with another one of our favorite bands, Woods, uh, before uh, passing away here in early August of 2019. So we felt it was only appropriate for us to sit down in front of the microphone, do the things that we know how to do when uh, music hits us on a really intense level like this and uh, chat about our thoughts about Berman, about his music, as well as chat with a few of our friends. Yeah. So I think for me, for David Berman, I mean, I went to college in the late 90s. And that's sort of uh, when Silver Jews, I guess, had their heyday. They put out uh, this first record, Starlight Walker, in 1994, followed by Natural Bridge, and I think what is many to be considered the Silver Juice High Watermark American Water in 1998. Despite all that, I didn't really hear the band until um, in 2005 when he kind of put out a comeback record of sorts called Tanglewood Numbers. It was one of those things called, wow, where's this guy been all my life? I've got to go back and listen to the other records. And one thing I always associated David Berman with is that he seemed to be um, he was very good at seeing the silver lining in despair, even though it's really clear that he was very despaired himself. He was a real, really, really like empathetic figure. I mean, here was a guy you listen to his music and you feel that he was the guy who would sit at the end of the bar to the wee hours of the morning and just listen to your story, offer you a bear hug at the end. I mean, kind of, you know, for anyone who's ever had to eat shit, we all go through this at some point, and that's okay. His songs are about, you can't erase the past. You got to take the time out to appreciate what you have, what's good in life, that you happen to be living in interesting times. And, you know, given that the times we're in now are sort of interesting to a fault, if you get my drift, I think we really 
could have used David Berman around. And certainly with his most recent album, Purple Mountains, the first song kind of seems to address that right off the bat. It's mm-hmm. like he's saying, I've seen it all. I've done it all. I've been to hell and back. Somehow, I'm still fucking here. I'm singing to you guys. How about that? Just be happy that we're all in this together. And things haven't been going so great. And that's okay. And also, uh, the first song of Tanglewood Numbers called Punks in the Beer Light, hmm. which was a very... It's kind of, uh, on that album, the music was very joyous. At that point with that band, uh, he had his backing musicians, William Tyler, who we love. He had Stephen Malcolmus. I think Bonnie Prince Billy was on that record. Like He had a really tight, seasoned country rock band, and the music reflects that. But that album had very upbeat songs to kind of hide some very darkly funny, despairing lyrics. And on... Uh, the first song, Punks in the Beer Light, which I think that was um, what he was closing shows with on uh, his somewhat infrequent tours. He does a bit of a duet with his wife. and She says, you know, even if it gets really, really bad, and let's not kid ourselves, it's going to get really, really bad. And even <laughs> still, he wasn't despairing. It was upbeat because it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to be down in the dumps every once in a while. And although, you know, he was severely depressed and like depression doesn't follow any logic. It doesn't listen to any reason. It's just a horrible, horrible disease if it goes untreated. But I'll just, I'll really miss his warmth overall. Yeah. I, uh, I first learned of David Berman in a, kind of moment of despair in life that kind of is fitting to what you're describing moment of kind of personal depression. I had just broken up with my girlfriend who I'm now married to. So everything worked out with us, but uh, I just graduated college. My girlfriend, I had broken up and I didn't totally know what I was doing. I didn't know where to go. And I had a very close friend, Colin Warren, who was working up in a very tiny town in a remote part of southeastern alaska and said if you can get yourself up here i can get you work for the next three months and you can kind of blow off some steam and do a bunch of hiking and camping and be outdoors and hang out in a tiny little mountain town it sounded like exactly what i needed so i flew up there and he picked me up in anchorage and we had just a crazy night and then went out and got supplies the next morning and as we were driving around he threw on this record and uh, this was July 2008, and the first track kind of starts out slowly, and then the music drops really quickly, and you hear this baritone, deadpan voice say, what is not but could be if? And it was like the question I needed to ask myself about my life at that point. I was like, the, it was one of those just like <laughs> cosmic moments with music that uh, anyone who, uh, who puts as much time as I think we do into listening to and trying to understand music for our own lives um, gets. And that album, Lookout Mountain, Lookout Sea, which turned out to be the final Sober Jews record contains a song suffering jukebox that, um, I posted the lyrics on my Instagram account a couple weeks better than the night that David passed away. Cause uh, that's basically like how I feel about music. There's this like sadness, this loneliness that's like lurking inside of me. And music is always that like connective tissue to other people 
to some sort of semblance of meaning and uh, like hope and optimism. And it felt very much like that with, um, uh, with when I listened to David Berman's music. And that summer, I was probably playing more guitar than I've ever played in my life. I was attempting to write songs for probably the most serious point in my life. And I found myself at little venues around rural Alaska playing silver juice songs intermixed with my songs, trying to write like David Berman and realizing that what he made sound so damn easy was so incredibly hard to mimic. Um, but I remember playing, uh, often, uh, the song slow education and, uh, just kind of fitting in kind of this large review on the world. And I just kind of took David's music with me. Um, it was a few years later that I was in South Korea and I met some of my best friends there who I said something about this in my post on Instagram. There was always something super exciting about meeting someone who loved music the, the way that you did. And then finding out they also are a Silver Juice fan. It was like another like tiny, tiny club. So I had close friends in uh, Korea, uh, Dallas Way and Justin Taylor. And then Dave and I uh, met here on uh, Twitter because he recognized my handle as potentially a Silver Juice handle, Suffering Juke. Um, and we connected and it led us to starting this podcast. It led to a friendship that would not have probably been possible or, you know, maybe it would have, but it happened spur because of that. And so, uh, basically everything you said, like there, there was a sense of empathy within the despair, within the depression, um, that, that I always loved from David Berman, um, his music in some cases, you know, sadly reflects uh, to me the the way that I've always felt about David Foster Wallace's perspective on the world. And um, there was, I don't know if those perspectives would have been as fully realized without that darkness that was lingering there. So I'm certainly sad to have lost him. Um, I'm sad I never got to see him live. Um, we had been in ongoing conversations to potentially have him on here at some point, which would have been very cool for us to talk with him about our mu about his music. But um, I'm just sad more than anything for his family, for his close friends and for all of our, all of his fans out there who loved him as much as we did. Um, he, he spoke a lot of truth and honesty to, to a really messed up world. And uh, I think we're all, all that much more lucky to, have had his music uh, for us to consume and, and, and that will live on uh, forever and ever and ever. Yes. So we've got a couple of our close friends joining us here on this episode to chat about uh, the music of David Berman. Um, and then we're going to play some of our favorite uh, David Berman songs here to close out the episode. Um, should we jump to that? Absolutely. Squirrels imported from Connecticut Just in time for fall How much fun is a lot more fun Not much fun at all what with all the handsome grandsons in these rock band magazines? And what have they done with the fat ones, the balls and the goatee? 
Strange victory. Strange victory. Strange victory. Strange defeat. Okay, so um, we're just we're back here and um, the air with uh, one of my really good friends. PJ Rudolph. Sometimes you can find him on Twitter at Axela Part Three. And um, PJ, I think you and I have kind of been friends since about like 2013 or thereabouts, about um, the past six years. I know that in addition to both being huge fish fans, we certainly bonded over uh, pavement, Silver Jews, like Guided by Voices, a lot of like mid mid 90s indie rock those type of like bands that were at one time considered college rock. It's almost gotten to be like our classic rock at this point. So yeah, just talk a little about, I guess, you know, what Berman means to you, how you found out about Silver Jews and kind of what his music has been for you, like going forward. Sure. Well, first off, thank you guys for having me on here and, um, Glad to finally uh, get a chance to talk with you guys on here, and I'm sorry that it's uh, coming at such a, you know, unfortunate circumstance. Yeah, um, you know, it's funny. There's always been a little bit of a, you know, connection for me between um, fish and you know my love of pavement and silver juice and so on, because um, I got into them right around that time when the hiatus hit. So I had just graduated mm-hmm. college had a friend who um, lived near me when I was uh, living and working in Washington, D.C. at the time. And uh, he was kind of throwing me all the, you know, we were constantly giving each other new music suggestions and he was throwing a lot of pavement and stuff my way. And I was, you know, really digging it. And then, you know, one day it was like, hey, there's this, uh, you know, Stephen Malkmus side project thing you got to hear called The Silver Jews. And, uh, and it just kind of grew out from there. And, uh, I know that a lot of people always think of the silver Jews as just sort of a Malkmus, uh, Stephen Malkmus from pavement, um, a side project of his, but it's, it's really so much more than that. And once you kind of really get into what Dave Berman's all about and his lyrics and his sort of point of view on the world, um, you realize there's just so much more to it. Yeah. It's funny. I, I, I don't know if I'm, I can't be the only person who was like this. I actually got into pavement after the silver juice. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. I, uh, ah. I, I think I came to pavement way later than I, um, uh, should have, but, um, I got into the silver juice and it was exactly like you're talking about that perspective that David Berman had. It was unlike anything I'd ever heard from a lyricist before. I mean, I was super into, Dylan at the time, um, always have been a Springsteen fan, but like there was something about David Berman's lyrics that felt just completely out there on an island all by themselves, completely isolated and lonely, but also surrounded by people who actually understood what he was talking about and were like desperately clamoring for someone to write about the world like that. Yeah, his his perspective on the world is is just so unique and it even just to me what's always stood out is even the kind of the mundane becomes sort of illuminated in a completely different way through his totally. lens. 
Um, you know, it's one of the most, it's probably one of the biggest throwaway lines in some of his songs, or just, it's just one of the most random, but it always sticks with me is, uh, the line, he says, chalk lines around my body, like the shorelines of a lake. And it just, Hmm. I don't know. It's like to think of those two images in that way to me is like one of those examples of, it's just a lyric that doesn't probably have a huge amount of meaning in the grand scheme of things of his songs. But I just think that that point of view to me is just so unique and different. And that's one of the just little lines that constantly reminds me why I, I loved his music and his songwriting so much. Yeah. That, uh, his way of like matter of factly just stating almost what felt like the obvious, but when you broke down the lyric, it suddenly had so much more depth to it. And it's not, he's Mm -hmm. not introducing like new phrasing or new words to you the way that Dylan does. He's literally just speaking to you the way that a guy at a bar would be speaking to you. But then he says something in like four or five words that you walk away being like, Oh, I actually understand the way I feel about something in a totally different way now. <laughs> like that depth yeah. is there in such a unique way. Yeah, uh, it's it's also he also has kind of a, a really interesting. Uh, another thing I've always loved is he has an interesting way of kind of turning a phrase. So, um, again, one of the most uh, sort of immediate examples is the the even the title of the song. I'm getting back into getting back into getting back <laughs> into you. <laughs> and I love yes. if you if you actually go through and read some of the lyrics of his songs, there's so many of those. I think there's one in the new Purple Mountains album where he's like something about um oh god, something about like you know I oh god, I'm totally I'm gonna have to look it up later, but th- he still uses that. And if you just kind of run through, there's like these little weird like changes the you know the the word or the I don't know the inflection on on the phrase, and it totally changes the meaning of it. And he does a great job of putting it all together. Is that where he's like, the end of all this wanting is all I'm ever wanting? Yes, yes. The first song, right? Okay. Or one of my favorite songs, "I Remember Me" from Bright Flight. The chorus is, "I remember her, and I remember him. I remember them. I remember then. I'm just remembering." And like the way he says remembering like rhymes with then in the song and it just like, it like all comes full circle in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. There's just, there's, there's a lot of just amazing wordsmithing that he does too, that beyond just the perspective, the way he illuminates it and the way he uses words was again, just to me, totally unique and special. And Um, you know, kind of, I think is one of the things that helped his music sort of rise above the rest, at least in in my mind, in terms of why I loved it so much and why it just rang so true to me. Yeah, he, uh, there's a song, uh, it opens American Water, Random Rules, where he, Mm. um, the way he sings the the title uh, is, as if you're playing by these random rules, but then he turns it towards the end of the song and says, when random rules. And it just like flips how you hear those two words back to back. And wow. Yeah. Completely changes the song for me. Yeah. That, that sort of stuff 
like my first song I ever heard from the Silver Jews was What Is Not But Could Be If, which I, I talked about briefly in the intro. Like that just that was like a question I'd never even thought you could create a song about. <laughs> like I thought you had to like write a song about something very defined and here's like this just totally open ended concept that I never considered any songwriter actually putting the time in to ask in a song. And uh that was like my first moment of being like, okay, who is this guy? I have to learn more immediately. And of course, Dave Berman being Dave Berman, he follows up that question with a song called Aloysius Bluegrass Drummer. <laughs> <laughs> is, that's interesting to me that your first Silver Jews album was Lookout Mountain, Lookout Sea. Yeah. Because that one is definitely like the, I want to say the black sheep of the collection. It is. It yeah. is. It was, uh, it's, it's funny that, it's funny to get into – it's kind of the similar – I feel like I got into Fish in 2001 when it was like, well, they're not a band anymore. Um, I don't know. I, I felt like that album – I think in going back to their catalog, it definitely showcases – I don't know. There was some – some sense of like tiredness that he had at that point in time, but there's some really, yeah. really great songs and some really just bright playing on that record. I know that was always that actually, I, I will admit, I, I think coming off of Tanglewood numbers, I, I unfortunately did have a little bit higher hopes for that one. It's, I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but it's definitely one I still go back to it's, you know, it's kind of always in the rotation. Um, yeah, actually, I, I will say it's funny because when I did also first learn about him, the other thing I did immediately learn or have someone kind of tell me was like, oh, well, you know, this band, like, they don't, you know, really exist or, you know, it's it's just mostly him and, you know, they don't tour or anything. And then come 2006 with Tanglewood Numbers, you know, like, oh, there's going to be a tour. Um and so I've actually been going back and uh, like recounting a little bit, having seen one of the very first Silver Juice shows um, back in 2006. And it was just, uh, you know, I think even kind of reading a few uh, reviews and stuff on, um, there's like a Silver Juice archive uh, online and you can kind of look at um some of the reviews and, and just sort of people's recollections of the shows and everyone's uh, everyone always kind of starts with like, Oh man, I was kind of nervous. This might've been like a train wreck of a show, but the band was actually really tight and really good. And that's almost exactly how I remember it too, is just kind of a small place, maybe 100, 200 people max. Um, and the band just sounded amazing. And um Dave Berman just looked so happy to be up there. It was mm -hmm. almost kind of like you'd had this picture in your mind of someone being a certain way after hearing the songs for so many years. And then to actually have it become, uh, you know, see him on stage, but to see him with this big grin on his face and him really enjoying himself and kind of singing songs out. It was, uh, it was a really great experience. It was definitely a, a show and, uh, uh, you know, just a whole gig that will totally, totally, uh, you know, I'll always remember it. I feel like I can still like picture where I was sitting and, you know, the whole stage setup and who was there and who I was with. It was, it had an indelible mark on, on kind of my, uh, show going experience. I, uh, 
Yeah, I've been hoping to see him on this tour, and it sounds like like what you're describing is what I. It's really it's really hard to find live Silver Jews um, uh, videos on YouTube. A lot of them really just tend to be like studio sessions for like KX, yes. KXP, KPX. Um, but in in the last couple of weeks since he passed, I've been reading a lot about him touring and very similar to what you're saying. Um, people were so surprised. It sounds like when they saw him live, how happy he really was. And I think one of the biggest things I've taken away from it all is it sounds like it was really challenging for him to get to that point where he could present that side of himself in public. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like he didn't want to, like he wanted to play obviously the songs that he's written that have some very dark themes to them, dark ideas to them. But it sounds as though he only wanted to go back out on tour when he felt like he was really up for it, which, you know, um, it sounded like he had been up for it this year and, um, unfortunately it didn't work out that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's unfortunate. I, um, I was really hoping that there would, you know, kind of, this would be the start of something new and, you know, um, you know, his catalog in some ways isn't really all that big. So, you know, when the announcement came out about Purple Mountains, it was like, oh my God, yes, like something I'm always clamoring for, which is like more Silver Jews, whether it's like, you know, unearthed archive stuff, whatever, like whatever I can get my hands on at times. It's like, because there's just so little of it. Um, I was so excited for kind of what the future held um, that it's, it's really just, it's like a gut punch to have, you know, right on the beginning of something great uh, to have this happen. But, um, you know, that's, it's almost all I can really say about it. And the record's really good, which is, it wasn't a half I mean, purple mountains isn't half-assed at all. I mean, it's the most, it's as fully realized as any of the recentest like silver juice albums. There's a lyrics yeah. in terms of production. He really, it's almost far better than it has any right to be given the 10 year layoff. Absolutely. Absolutely. It just makes it hurt that much more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say if anyone is, um, you know, if they've been interested in kind of and have been learning more throughout all of this, um, the Drag City uh, note that they kind of wrote on his passing that I think came out about a day or two ago is is really well done and really kind of just, you know, as – a group and probably some, you know, an individual or two there that, that knew him so well. Um, it's a great little eulogy to read and to kind of, um, you know, kind of read how they remember him and sort of what they, you know, meant to him. It's, uh, it's really interesting. It even just kind of recounts like their last, uh, this person's last uh, conversation with him. And the whole time he was, he had like his card broken down and he was kind of like, oh, I'm running late for this thing, blah, 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 my car broke down. And the guy in the other line's like, oh, did you, did you do this? And his only reaction is, oh, man, you sound awful. Are you sick? And the guy's like, yeah, I'm, I'm a little under the weather. And he, he's almost more concerned for the guy's health than he is for his own broken down car, you know? <laughs> and I, I thought that was just really interesting because it's like he really did kind of give a lot of himself and give to a lot of other people, whether it was in his, you know, words and music. Um, 
you know, so uh, it's just kind of an interesting little anecdote about kind of more of who he who he was and what he was like. I think we will definitely try to link to that on Twitter. Um, one other thing that um, we should link to kind of on that note, I know there's been a lot of Berman tributes in the past two weeks, but certainly the one written by the Rolling Stone scribe, Rob Sheffield, who's who's uh, been doing the damn thing for a very, very long time. Excellent author, mm. and excellent author as well. But his tribute to Berman, where I guess he uh, talks about knowing him in Charlottesville back in the mid nineties and how he was uh, very, very warm and sympathetic to him when uh, Rob Sheffield's first wife passed. It's very much worth reading. So I think we'll, we'll try to link to that as well. Yeah, that one. And, um, uh, the New Yorker. Mark Richardson's The New Yorker has a great one. Mark Richardson's uh, essay, David Berman Changed the Way So Many of Us See the World, which just fits in line with uh, how we've a lot how we've been talking about his music and his lyrics. Um, there was a really great one in the New York Times, and of course Stephen Hyden has a really great piece. And you know, it was it was fascinating to um it's it's such a expected thing in so many ways now on twitter when a musician passes you see all of your favorite artists who are still alive uh sharing their own thoughts and um it was wild to go through twitter in the days after he had passed and just see the like tweet after tweet after tweet of all of these people that i listen to that i'm sure you guys listen to um and it kind of uh, there was like a, a true sadness, obviously, in what they what they were all saying. There also felt like this real fear in terms of, um, you know, what what can happen to artists, and and it's a hard hard industry, and it's really difficult to remain this creative and this thoughtful and this, uh, you know, needed or felt, you know, this this feeling of being needed as as an artist for an entire career. And um, there was a lot of empathy and a lot of uh, clear need from artists for a songwriter like Berman and the way that he saw the world and kind of guided a lot of younger artists um, uh, throughout their, not necessarily careers, but um, kind of artistic projects nowadays. So I'm just curious for you guys, what are the, like, what are some of the, like, what are some of your favorite Silver Juice songs that you guys have you know, maybe gone back and listened to this week or something like that. Hmm. Certainly off the top of my head, all of Tanglewood numbers top to bottom. That's probably my, I'd say next to American water. That's probably my favorite silver juice album. I've listened to punks and the beer light about, I don't know, 20 times off of American water, random rules, Smith and Jones forever. And, uh, the last song that record, the wild kindness, mm just awesome and then the first album starlight walker trains across the sea that's almost kind of like a dry run for random rules in the sense that that song is almost a bit of like a Burma mission statement in some sense but yeah i mean i'm going to revisit i'm trying to think if i found any chestnuts that i hadn't Oh yeah, on um, on Lookout Mountain, Lookout Sea, the song San Francisco BC, which song. is incredibly funny. 
it's hilarious and I completely forgotten all yeah. about it. I'm like walking down the street laughing. <laughs> and that song has a really good groove. Uh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I um my favorite Silver Jews record unquestionably is Bright Flight. Um I took the path from Lookout Mountain to Bright Flight and for me listening to that record uh I think one of the unfortunate aspects of all this is there's a lot of oh that lyric makes sense now oh that has a little bit more depth now um but you know specifically um i remember me uh has always been one of my favorite songs of his i think it's just such a sweet and bizarre way of um describing love and then lost love and the way that your life continues after that um Transylvania blues. I remember hearing that in 2008 and it was the first time I ever thought, Oh, I guess there are indie rockers that like to jam, which has come full circle nowadays with bands like Garcia peoples and dire wolves and Riley Walker. Um, Tennessee has always been one of my favorite songs. And you talk about a turn of phrase. You're the only 10 I see is uh, one of his best Uh, death of an air of sorrows. Uh, it was definitely a song that really struck me. Uh, my favorite Silver Juice song of all time is, for good reason, Suffering Jukebox. And I've listened to that probably a hundred times and since he passed. And uh, the last song on Lookout Mountain, Lookout Sea, we could be looking for the same thing. You know, for that to be the final track from the Silver Jews um, put to record, uh, you know, really was this optimistic exit for the group. Um, and then to end the Purple Mountains record with maybe I'm the only one for me, those just feel like companion pieces and kind of this tension between Berman and himself throughout his life. And, uh, also last one is, uh, I love being my mother's son, which I think is just one of the most just truly sentimental and uh, thoughtful songs he's ever, he's ever written. I love that song. How about you, PJ? You know, it's it's funny because uh, I was I was kind of expecting maybe you guys might say something else. Um, I think for me, I mean, definitely American Water uh, is probably because that is the album that uh, I got to first. Um, you know, songs like People and yeah. uh, you know that one. I just think it was the that was like the perfect combination for me that really got me into them because, or into him, uh, because the, the, the wah-wah pedal in the background and just the way the, the groove kind of hits you, but then you've got these cool lyrics. That was kind of the whole, the whole thing came together for me there. Um, and then I will say the album, um, and it's funny cause you guys didn't, uh, didn't mention it is, uh, natural, the natural bridge yeah um that one i do really that was one of those albums that i could put on before i went to sleep every night and just go through the whole thing because even with uh you know how to rent a room um black and brown blues uh inside the golden days of missing you um which has also some really kind of fun lyrics in in the way it's kind of done um and then it ends with pretty eyes which i think is sort of this um, you know, has sort of a hauntingness to it, but is also like extremely beautiful at the same time. Um, 
it's just that's like yeah i guess he does sort of have a thing for um you know those last songs on an album because uh that's that's always one that does sort of uh stick out to me as well that's a lot of people's favorite silver juice song actually yeah it's Being pretty yeah obvious. it's it's got such great it's one of it's one of the ones that i think even in the last couple of days i go back and not just listen to it but almost like trying up the lyrics online just to kind of read it to make sure i'm actually hearing it right and even reading it without the you know without it set to music so you're not kind of uh stepping through it in his cadence but in kind of your own way of, that your eyes would read it um i feel like it's also kind of jumped out at me in in different ways too which is always kind of nice all right pj thanks a lot for coming on man this has been uh this is yeah thanks for having good. me guys i really appreciate it good and i think awesome and cathartic in one sense absolutely i'm gonna continue to uh play through a lot of his albums over the coming weeks um just because uh it had probably been maybe not too long but it, a, a good silver juice binge is always it's always good for you Sirius XM brings you the deepest variety of commercial free music for every genre and for every mood. Where you hear the biggest names in talk, entertainment, and comedy, and hundreds of hand-curated music channels designed to fit every mood. Where you get news from every source. Where you can listen to the newly launched Fish Radio, in addition to Jam On, Grateful Dead Radio, Pearl Jam Radio, Tom Petty Radio, and many more. Where you can listen to top comedy channels such as Kevin Hart's Laugh Out Loud Radio, and Netflix is a Joke Radio, and Sports Talk Radio from Barstool to ESPN, and more to keep you up to date on the latest news in the sports world. Most people think that you need a car to enjoy SiriusXM, but you don't. Subscribe now to listen outside the car, on your phone, online, and at home and get your first three months for just a dollar. Visit SiriusXM.com slash BTP to see offer details and to subscribe. Start listening today. SiriusXM, no car required.
smile that hardly looked like how it said I'm perfect in an empty room. Four dogs in the distance. They each stands for a kindness, yeah. Bluebirds lodged in a nevergreen, all drunk on a shine out in the Thank you for for uh, taking some time here tonight, Stephen, to uh, to chat with us. Um, you know, obviously, I think as, as we've recorded in the past, we've had some really great conversations, and I think that we hope to again in the future. And uh, I know that um, we none of us wish we were having conversations based around what we're what we're talking about, but um, you know, we both really really enjoyed uh, your writings about David Berman and uh, the essay that you wrote day after he passed was really really thoughtful really moving and we just want to bring you on and chat with you about uh his music and what it meant to you and kind of what your thoughts are on all of this yeah you know it's it's interesting because i've seen people talk about the last david berman record the purple mountains album as being a prescient album in a way you know people have talked I, i think it's natural to do this but people have looked at that album and and said, well, you know, he was pointing to this sort of end on that record. And I think it's easy to do that in retrospect. However, I don't honestly feel that there was a thought in his mind when he was making that record that he was eventually going to kill himself, even with some of the, uh, some of the history that he's had, you know, that, that he had before he died with, you know, uh, with, with suicide attempts. Um, you know, all I can say is, you know, I had a limited amount of experience communicating with him over the past, uh, you know, from from like January to May of this year. He he had emailed me in January uh, out of the blue. I'd never communicated with him before, uh, but he had seen some tweets that I had made over the years about Silver Jews and just being a fan of the band. And he admitted that he would occasionally go on Twitter and search Silver Jews and look mm-hmm. for people who were saying nice things about his music because you know, he wanted that kind of encouragement. And that's how he found my name. And uh, we started, you know, exchanging emails a little bit. And uh, he ended up se- sending me the Purple Mountains record uh, before it was announced. It was like one big file, <laughs> like a 40 minute file. So I didn't really know what any of the songs were called. Um, but I thought the album was great. And, you know, the, the, you look at the song titles and like, all my happiness is gone and, you know, darkness and cold and, you know, the sentiments of like a song like Margarita's at the mall, which, you know, is talking about basically how we're all just sort of killing time until we all die. You know, I mean, it's a very death obsessed record. Um, but at the same time, it's also delivered with this buoyancy to it. And, you know, I think the thing with David Berman was that he was always, he always had a lot of, he had a lot of humor in his writing. He also had a lot of humor in his delivery. There was sort of a sardonic quality, uh, I think, to his writing and also how he delivered songs. So even when he was writing about things that were heavy and and depressing, uh, he could do it in a 
in an engaging, fun way. And, sure. I, and I think that was especially true of the Purple Mountains record. And, you know, when I talked to him, you know, we, we had like a 90-minute phone conversation. And, you know, he, there were some shaky moments. There were moments where, you know, he was pretty raw. But he was also, I think, ultimately, to me, he seemed like a guy that wanted to engage with the outside world. You know, he had gone through this period where he was, you know, living in isolation. You know, he wasn't with his wife anymore. You know, he was living in a room in uh, the offices of his record company, Drag City. Um, You know, he was obviously estranged from his father, uh, Mm -hmm. which is a well-known story. And his mother had died, um, you know, a few years earlier. Um, but he told me at the end of our conversation that, you know, he said, like, I'm ready for my isolation to end. And, uh, as nervous as he might've been about touring, I think at least on that day, he was optimistic about where he was going. And, um, you know, it's so hard. I mean, we can't really speculate on like what was in his head, you know? You know, was this something that he was contemplating for a long time or did he just have a bad day and made a rash decision that he wasn't able to going to be able to take back ultimately? Um, you know, I don't know. I, but again, I, I really don't want to think of that last record as like some sort of like preemptive suicide note. I, I really don't think it should be heard that way. I think it should be heard as like a celebration of his talent and, an affirmation of like all the hard work that he put into that record. I mean, cause that was something else he talked about when I interviewed him was that, you know, one of the reasons why he didn't put out a record for such a long time is that he felt that as artists get older, they get worse and their songs get worse and he didn't want to be one of those people. Um, so when he came back, it was really important for him that he write great songs and he put a lot of effort into that album. He put a lot of life into that record. You know, it wasn't something that he just tossed off and, you know, in a, in a fit of despair. I think he took a lot of pride in what he did. And, you know, he re-recorded those songs, you know, a couple different times because he wanted to get them right. So, you know, I think he acted like a guy who cared about his art. And I think if you care that much about your art, I don't see how it could be in your mind to also eventually just throw your life away. You know, I think that was something that he fought for a long time. That was probably an impulse that he fought for a long time. And unfortunately it was, it was something that he wasn't able, it it just overtook him at some point, but I think he felt, but to me, like that record should be heard as a celebration of who he was as an artist and as a celebration of his life, not as a sort of a preamble to his death. You know, that would be my hope, I guess, for how that record is remembered. Cause it is a great record. And I think it is one of his great records. Um, and I think it will be remembered that way. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I remember the first time I heard the album, um, hearing the first two tracks back to back, that's just the way I feel. And all my happiness is gone. They sounded almost like a wink to me. I, I didn't, it, it almost made me like breathe this sigh of relief that everything was okay, that he'd been in isolation for as long as he had. And, um, that, you know, there had been no sign of, future music for from him until I want to say early 2019, maybe late 2018. I forget when the, the album was and the concept was announced, but those felt like he had written very classic silver Jews type songs 
and almost looked back with kind of a smile that was like, I'm okay, guys, and let's move forward with this next project. So I definitely agree with you. I don't, I don't necessarily hear it as any sort of a note of I'm ready to pass over to the other side. Um, and those two songs ended up being, I mean, they're two of my favorite songs that he's ever written. That's just the way I feel. I, I, for me personally, it just describes like my last three years of perspective on the world. Um, and as, as so many of his songs have done, kind of came along at this very unexpected point in my life that just described things that I was not even realizing I was thinking about at that point in time, which was one of his absolute, uh, just, you know, uh, one of the best parts about him. Yeah. I, I just want to add to that. I think another important thing to remember about him, again, this is just based on my conversation with him, but he talked about how, music for him was an escape, you know, that he mm. played music because it made him feel better and it made living easier for him. You know, like, like the first song that he wrote uh, for this record was, I love being my mother's son, which is the seventh track on the record. And he wrote that after his mother died. And he, he, he said that, you know, like when, cause he hadn't touched the guitar for years, apparently. And it was important for him just to, just to pick up a guitar and play chords, you know, not even playing anything in particular, but just the act of, of playing and the meditative quality of that, I think helped a lot. And, you know, being able to return to, to writing for him. And, and again, it's hard to speculate on what his state of mind was, but I'm sure that there must've been some sort of gratification eventually anyway, to see that he still had it, you know, because I think he knew, you know, because you know, he, he's talked a lot and this was a, a recurring thing in his interviews that he would say like, well, I don't care if I'm remembered. I don't care what my legacy is. Um, and I don't really believe that, you know, I, right. to me, because if you don't care what your legacy is, you don't go on Twitter and search silver Jews, you know, you don't reach <laughs> out to people, you know what I mean? Like, and I say that, um, I don't say that in a mocking way. I say that yeah, no, I know, because, because to me, that's something that you say either because um, maybe there's a part of you that believes that, or maybe there's like a depressive part of you that has sort of a defeatist attitude about your own work, or um, it's a defense mechanism. You know, you, the old, you know, you can't fire me because I quit routine you know it's like well because you're afraid that people actually will forget you so you say i don't care if you forget me um and you know the the, the horrible tragedy of his death you know though anyone that loved his music you know we've all felt terrible about you know the silver lining of it was that so many people shared like their favorite lyrics from david Byrne's yeah. songs after i mean like my twitter feed was just loaded with just like wonderful prose from songs or from his book, actual air. And it was a terrible, uh, you know, reason for that happening, but it was, it was such a great thing to sort of like celebrate this man's like words and just to realize like, God, this guy could write so well. And, um, so as unfortunate and horrible as his death is, it did prove him wrong that like, if he ever felt like people aren't going to remember me, well, you know, I think that 
wasn't the case. You know, obviously people really loved what he did and, 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 and valued it. Didn't you say, I think it was in your interview, he, I guess, had the belief that there were really only like 10 people in the world who cared about his music? That was in the Ringer profile. Oh, okay. He said that, but he said th- things like that to me. Like when we were talking, there was a part of the interview, it was like toward the end or like the second half where he was doing a roll call of indie musicians who had name checked him in interviews. Mm-hmm. Cause he was saying that like, you know, like, cause he was talking about how um, he was looking for people to help him make the purple mountains record. And Again, this, I mean, this speaks to, I guess, his mindset because, you know, he was saying, you know, I was like desperate to, like, I wanted help. Like, I wanted someone to help me out. And he's like, well, I tried with Dan Behar of Destroyer, but that didn't work out. And Jeff Tweedy, he wanted to work with me too. And, but that didn't, you know, that didn't really work out either. Like he was saying no one wanted to help him, but then he was also mentioning these like, luminaries that like Mm -hmm. respected him and like wanted to work with him and then he eventually ended up working uh with the guy from woods whose name i can't remember jeremy i think jeremy earl i think was yeah uh the dude that ended up working on the purple mountains record and did a great job um and uh, but he was just doing this roll call of like well i know kurt vile likes me um and you know, there's a couple other people he mentioned and that's it. You know, no one remembers me. And I just kept saying like, well, you're really respected. Like people love what you do. And, you know, you've been hamstrung because your music wasn't on Spotify for the longest time. And like you never toured and you haven't toured. I mean, you haven't toured in the last, you know, 10 years, but you also barely toured when Silver Jews were, were, were together. So and and he acknowledged that, that he had, you know, sort of set himself up to be this like outsider figure um, just by the way he conducted his career. Um, but yeah, he just, again, like he, he would say that he was fine being an outsider, but then he also took note of the people that said good things about him. Like he was aware of that. And Again, I, I think it just speaks to ultimately, I think he wanted to connect with people. But, uh, you know, and I think we all have this inside of us. We all have these impulses where we want to connect, but then there's also maybe demons inside of us that prevent us from doing that, that draw us back into ourselves. And I know I struggle with that. And I'm sure, a lot, yeah, you know, same here. most of us yeah. struggle with that. And, um, <clears throat> you know, if you're lucky, you are you don't have it as strong maybe as some people your extremes aren't as extreme like you're you're more sort of in the middle and you know my sense of him is that the the extremes were just they were just very extreme and uh you you talk to people that knew him or you read like rob sheffield's piece for instance from rolling stone like he wrote a beautiful piece about david berman and he actually knew david berman they were friends um back in charlottesville in the 90s and it sounds like as just like as a friend he was like a lovely guy he could be very friendly and very kind and and giving and um but you know then he also had that other part of him that would keep people at an arm's length and you know it, and it's the demons that we all fight and uh, you know it's the human condition uh and, and, i mean the sad thing with him and i wrote about this in my piece but 
um, you know, you, when someone dies, you, you think back and you're like, Oh, what could I have said that could have prevented this? And with David Berman, I think a lot of people have talked about this, that because, because he has said this in several interviews that like, well, you know, no one was a fan of my music or I didn't feel like anyone liked me. And I know when I talked to him, I told him how much he was loved, you know, and I told him how much I loved his music. And I, and, and I know that there were other people saying that to him, you know, especially now, like he was getting great reviews for the record. He was talking to journalists, you know, all he, there was like a series of very glowing profiles about him. Um, and I'm sure he appreciated it on some level, but on some, but at some point a claim is not enough. You know, public acclaim is not enough. People telling you that you're a great songwriter may not be enough to chase away the loneliness or the demons or whatever you want to call it that's inside of you, you know? And, you know, some people, and again, I think this is true for everyone, but, you know, that that feeling of being alone, even when you're with other people, or even like when other people are telling you that they love you, but you can't feel it. That's such a lonely, terrible state of mind to be in. And it just seems like maybe he was in that kind of place. And, uh, you know, it's a terrible thing. You know, it's a terrible thing when someone is so talented and beloved, and yet they can't feel that love from other people. Um, so, you know, what I, I, I'm curious on, on that because I think that's a really, um, I think that's a really strong point in terms of like, you know, not only the demons that he was potentially fighting just from all of our perspectives, but also what he communicated so well through his music was that loneliness. And I think that part of the appeal of listening to his music was this sense of, I feel this loneliness too. And I've never heard anyone describe it to me and as plain spoken, but as um, kind of, you know, these lyrics that were turn a phrase super creative super kind of off the cuff they felt like but it sounds like he worked really really hard to craft these lyrics um, i'm curious what songs for you uh i don't want to put you on the spot too much but you know um really ring true to you as describing that sort of sense of loneliness that almost makes you feel like, like i i've always found when i hear his songs they make me understand my own kind of demons, my own loneliness, but also make me feel comforted in that feeling. Um, I don't know if you hear it in a similar way, but if I'm curious, like what, what songs of his uh, you felt really described that sense of loneliness the best. Yeah, oh man. I mean, it's hard to pick. I mean, one song like off of the purple mountains record that, um, where there were lyrics that were just stuck in my head, which again, I think is the sign of a great lyricist yeah. because we talk about like, like the hook of a song getting stuck in your head or maybe the chorus, but with David Berman songs, like lines get stuck in your head and they kind of ring in your head for a long time. And there's a song called she's making strength. She's making friends, but I'm turning stranger where he says, uh, I want to be a warm and friendly person, but I don't know how to do it. And, <laughs> which is such a funny line. I, I heard that line. I thought it was really yeah. funny. Was, uh, before that, he sings like, I want to be tantamount to cordial, tantamount to good. You know, saying like, I, I want to be in the ballpark of being friendly. And and I just thought that was such a great way to put, 
you know, that where I don't know if that's about loneliness, but it's about wanting to communicate with people and, and, and having an inability to do it. And which to me is like, it's such a nuanced way of looking at this, because I think when you talk about loneliness, there's this idea that like, oh, you're just like a sad sack person in a room by yourself. And you're just, you know, moping around and like, almost like you want to be sad. And I think in reality, if you're lonely, you don't want to be lonely. You want to be with other people. And when you are with other people, you want to feel like you're part of the group. And the worst feeling in the world is to be out in public and still feel lonely you know, and still feel like, like I'm here. I'm trying, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm not in my room. I'm at this party or I'm at a bar or I'm you know, wherever. And I still like, I'm still like, there's like a bubble around me or something. And uh, so that song, um, you know, really stands out to me. Um, I mean, there's so many other ones. I mean, one song I've been thinking about a lot is, and again, I guess because he passed away is like the farmer's hotel which is a song on Tanglewood Numbers. And that's a song, that's an album that I've always really loved. I feel like that's kind of an underrated record. People talk about The Natural Bridge and American Water. Those are, I think, the acknowledged, you know, high points. And then the albums after that kind of get a little um, maligned. I feel like Tanglewood Numbers is maybe a little maligned just because that was when he was starting to almost be turning silver juice was almost turning into like a regular rock band yes. at that point. Like the first song on that record punks in the beer light is a very anthemic Anthem. rock That's song. Great. It's almost like a hold steady song. You know, it's like the closest that they kind of get to that more kind of arena rock type sounding record. Um, whereas the rest of that album, I think is like just like a great kind of psychedelic country record country rock record and the great william tyler plays guitar Mm -hmm. on that record and plays beautifully um but the farmer's hotel is a song i almost feel like and people aren't going to take this as a compliment but i i take it i kind of hear it as is as like his version of hotel california you know where it's like this metaphor for death basically or this metaphor for the unknown you know that like there's this hotel that people tell you not to go to you know and you're going to go there eventually and you go there and you have a terrible time and you and you're trying to escape it basically and it's a funny song in a lot of ways but there's this undercurrent of foreboding throughout it that um I just thought of that song a lot after he died. I, and it's a weird song to pick because it's not a typical thing. But it, to me, it just speaks to um, a guy who probably stepped up to death a lot in his life and knocked on the door, but then walked away because he's like, I don't want to go in there. And then, uh, you know, he did go in finally. Um so that song kind of makes me think about that. And I bring up Hotel California because in our email conversations, we talked about classic rock because, um, and this is weird. I, you know, I'm not saying this in a self-aggrandizing way. I feel like in a way he was buttering me up because he knew I was a rock writer 
and that I, I was one of those rock writers who would care about him. So he wanted to make sure I would write about his record. But he told me that he like bought my, my book and that he was reading the book, the Twilight of the Gods book. So we were talking about classic rock in our emails. And uh, I think we talked a little, a little bit about the Eagles. And, and he was a very funny guy. He had like an irreverent attitude about a lot of that, you know, sort of 60s and 70s FM rock type stuff and but he also had a love for it too you know and i think you can hear that in his music in much the same way that stephen malkmus does you know like where he loves classic rock but there's also he comes from punk so there's there's a love for it but there's also like sort of an irreverence at the same time and i think berman had the same thing um and i think berman had a lot of respect for the songwriters of that era and i think more than anyone today, he looked to those people as not as contemporaries, maybe, but as like uh, role models for the kind of songwriter he wanted to be. Because there was a real sort of classicist quality to his writing in a lot of ways. You know, you you could imagine that if like, you know, like Willie Nelson had a more adventurous producer, that he could do a album of silver juice songs you know um it's like not that far removed from you know sort of classic american song craft um but anyway i'm far afield i mean is there anything did you guys want to share some of like your kind of favorite songs i mean i've been similar to you uh like i've been listening to a lot of him ever since purple mountains record came out came out it just threw me down another wormhole with the silver jews and uh then obviously since this all happened um one song i keep coming back to my my favorite record is bright flight um and that ends with the song death of an air of sorrows and it has just this like little uh verse towards the end of the song towards the end of the album that has always told me in kind of its like the vague quality of it uh so much about berman's writing it's I've not avoided certainty. It has always just eluded me. I wish I knew. I wish I knew for true. And that line is just kind of bounced around in my head as this kind of way that he, like like you, you were saying, Stephen, where he, he lived a life where he almost like approached death's door and then walked away. And I, I think about it in the sense of how many artists came out and spoke about how much they loved him and how I was equally non not surprised to read all that, but it was also really heartwarming to jump onto Twitter that day and say, and see here's another artist that I absolutely loved. I didn't, I never knew this silver juice connection, but clearly they made a David Berman made a, a huge impact on, you know, this artist and then this artist and this artist. And the fact that he, always kind of tried to write from this perspective left of center uh, this kind of purposely skewed view on um, connection on just his own evolution as a person while also trying to communicate and connect with people uh, this idea of like he's he's being eluded by the idea of certainty and um I don't know. It it always just struck me as uh, it's it's been a lyric that just continuously has bounced around my head um, ever since this all happened. So um, 
know, just Stephen, to back up what you were saying, um, my first, my sort of introduction to the Silver Jews, despite going to college in the '90s, I actually didn't really hear them until Tangle with Numbers, and then work my way backwards from that record to, uh, I guess, hear what are thought of as the more classic albums. But I love Tanglewood Numbers. I just think it's so well-produced, and he had such a crack band in that album. And it's also interesting because, if I recall, after, uh, I guess, Bright Flight, which I think came out in 2001, he went to some really dark places. I think, wasn't the time between Bright Flight and Tanglewood Numbers... There was a failed suicide attempt. It might have been some serious drug addiction. Right. And kind of Tangle with Numbers was seen as the like, comeback record. Like right. Almost what Purple Mountains was seen as now, Tangle with Numbers was seen as back in 2005. And it just kicks off with Punks in the Beer Life being this big swinging anthem where him and his wife duet and said, you know, if it gets really, really bad, let's not kid ourselves and hope it's going to get really bad. And then he's dancing around like some Steve Malcolm's guitar solos. It's just, to me, that song is kind of maybe one of the ultimate Berman mixes of uh, using really jaunty, positive music to cover some really dark things. Right. And I think um, there's a line on that record. I don't think it's in, it's the song before the Farmer's Hotel. Sleeping is the only love. He just has like a toss-off line. He says, like, lately I've come to find life is sweeter than Jewish wine, which <laughs> for those of us that are Jewish and have had uh, like um, the really, really syrupy Manischewitz on Passover, it's incredibly sweet wine. It's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> so, but even that record has a song, Sleeping is the Only Love. Like, even as bright as the music got, like the only release he can get is through sleeping. And that goes back to, there's a song, a lookout mountain, lookout sea called, um, a pillow is the threshold. I think. Mm, yeah. That's another song about how he's just using like sleep for escape. And, uh, no, I mean, like I said, earlier on in the podcast, I think his biggest strength was that he was in, had a great sense of empathy for anyone who's just been down in the dumps, they've been moping, everybody's been there, and you listen to this music. I think one time I called it like chicken soup for the indie rock soul. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I mean, I love, I think that's a really astute observation about Tanglewood Numbers in a way being a, like it was like a Purple Mountains record for the 2000s, you know, because there was a period where it seemed like David Berman was going to cross over permanently into the great beyond. And then he was able to come back and with an album that was like, I think, I mean, that, I mean, that, that is a really enjoyable record. And I think it's, and I agree with you. It's one of my favorite silver Jews records. And it, it's definitely the one that, I don't know. It's just like most flat out enjoyable. If I'm having like a cookout or if I'm, going on a long drive like that's an album i that's the one i'm probably going to put on uh first uh by silver jews um and i was just thinking about like the last song of the record you know uh, there is a place and you know he says there is a there is a place past the blues i never want to see again hmm. and you know you think of a song like that 
you know, such a simple line, but such a heavy line, you know, saying, I've been to the dark place. I don't want to go back. And I think that speaks a lot to him. Again, like if you're inclined to listen to him as just this sort of doom laden guy, you know, who is only ever going to take his own life, you know, that's a really simplistic way to look at him. He was a human being. I think he lived life. I think there were moments of great joy for him. I think there's great moments of great joy in Silver Jew's records. It's not all doom and gloom. And I hope he's not defined that way, ultimately, because I think that often happens with artists who uh, take their own lives, lives, that people end up looking at their art through that prism prism you know i think that happens with kurt cobain for instance like anytime there's a documentary about him it's always about you know trying to figure out like why he did what he did when in reality like you know there was great joy in nirvana's music you know it was really exhilarating to hear them for the first time you know it wasn't just a drag listening to them and i think that's true for silver juice you know as heavy as it could be and as, as dark and you know and all the uh, you know, dark places that David Berman went in his songs. These records are also really funny and like really fun to listen to. And um, for people who haven't checked him out, I would actually lead with that. I wouldn't say these are all, these songs will help you not feel depressed or, you know, these will, <laughs> these are songs that you should play when you're down in the dumps. I'd say like, put it on. They're, they're good jams, you know, yeah. good songs, man. Like there's great guitar parts, you know, He's not a versatile singer, but I think he's a really engaging singer. Um, and the lyrics are really funny and great, and and they stick in your head. Some of them are just some of them stick in your head like 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 jokes, you know, or great one liners. I think the song "Candy Jail" when you're talking about that, like that's one of the most that in San Francisco, BC on Lookout Mountain are like two of the funniest songs I feel like he ever wrote. Yeah, and they're not like wacky funny they're not like jokey funny they're like he's just a witty guy and he's a great he has a very fascinating perspective on the world you don't make enough to provide for me (laughs) what about the things that we quote believe (laughs) you can actually see him do the uh the quotes in the 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 air air quotes (laughs) yeah no i i totally agree with that i mean i um i think that you know and just the nature of this conversation and it it's it, it makes me sad that we're having this conversation around this because I would have loved to have had this conversation around his life, you know, when it, had this not happened. Um, obviously, there is like a sort of like a taint of you know, taint, it's it's tainted by the fact of what happened. But it's also yeah, it's definitely worth remembering. I mean, perhaps you know, the, the joy that was in his lyrics, the, the joking that was in his lyrics, the fact that um, so many of his songs sound like you're just sitting next to the most fascinating guy who keeps you having ordering another beer and another beer. Cause you're just having such a great time at whatever dive bar you're at. Um, you know, I've always thought my, my favorite silver juice song is without question suffering jukebox. And it kind of exemplifies that joy and sadness that comes from his music. And the fact that, listening to music is like this act of connection uh, from, from some semblance of isolation. And um, that's definitely like what I'm going to take 
take with me in terms of listening to his music going forward is that there was someone who was able to really communicate both the humor and also the kind of stark isolation of what it's like being an individual in this world that, uh, you know, we all feel it from time to time. Like you said earlier, Stephen, some people more extreme than others. And, you know, those records are going to hold up. I mean, they sound, there's nothing dated about those albums. I you know, it, it's funny because like in the nineties that, you know, pavement was a much more popular band than silver juice. And I, you know, I still really like pavement, but to me, pavement is very much tied to the nineties, but silver juice is timeless. You know, like they don't belong yes. to a decade. I feel like I could play them for someone who had never heard them. And like, they would, it would just sound like sort of, it would sound the way that like great, live towns van zandt record sound or like totally. you know you know or classic dylan records you know like or classic neil young records like they, they, it's like oh this just sounds like what this music is supposed to sound like it doesn't sound like it's tied to a specific era um do you think if he had come from a different era he wouldn't have been like i feel like he's like the artist artist and you like realize it in his death that there are so many artists who cared about him and used him as some sort of like inspiration as they grew creatively. Do you think that that's a product of his time or of who he was and how he approached his career? Like, do you think his music would have changed at all? Had he been more popular? I don't know. I mean, you know, there's something about his career where, you know, there's some artists who don't find a big audience and you're sort of like, like, why? Like, why would more people like this? I don't really feel that way with Silver Juice as much as I love their records. I understand like why they have the audience that they have. And I think it has to do with, it has to do with the music, but also has to do with just how David Berman conducted his career. You know, like I think he, he went out of his way to make sure that they weren't more popular, you know? Um, And I don't know why that is. I mean, I think there's a combination of factors. I think, you know, for whatever reason, he didn't want to play live for many years. And, you know, there was just something about his personality where, you know, he wasn't going to do like Lollapalooza, you know, like Pavement did, you know, or, sure. or any of those kind of big time things. And even Pavement, you know, it's not like Pavement was like the most careerist band in the world. I mean, they kind of like threw a wrench into their own career in their own ways. But, um you know, Berman wouldn't even engage with, you know, like it's hard to imagine David Berman making a video for like a song from Starlight <laughs> Walker, you know, like the way that pavement made videos for like cut your hair and, and, and stuff like that. Um, I got to say, I don't know if I told you this, but like not long before he died, I actually, this is the last email I sent to him. I asked or I told him about your podcast oh, man. and Brian, mm. I, I told him that your Twitter name was suffering Jew, <laughs> that you were a big fan and that, if he was looking for another way to promote the record that he should go on your podcast. So I'm sorry. I wasn't able to make that happen for you, but I, I, I tried. And maybe if he had stuck around, uh, he could have been a guest on your show. So, but anyway, I did tell, oh. but in a way, Brian, I was able to communicate to him that you were a big fan by proxy. I appreciate that. So, yeah, no, no, that means a lot. So oh, man. <laughs> thank you. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, Stephen, Wanu, me and Brian really want to thank you for coming on. We absolutely 
love having you on the podcast and hope to do it soon under i guess brighter circumstances absolutely always a pleasure and uh thanks for having me on thank you thank you out the window in the harbor he saw a little ship the moon was worn just slightly on the right They slow danced so the needle wouldn't skip until the room was filled with light. And I remember you, and I remember me. The sunshine walking inside you. And the man you could see in me So I remember me And I remember you So many beautiful days in a row now And the nights were perfect too Alright, thank you everyone who hung out with us here in this episode. If you are a Silver Juice fan or if you are new to the work of David Berman uh, in the Silver Jews as well as uh, Purple Mountains. Um, it's a bit of a heavy episode. Uh, I think it was cathartic for us to sit down with some of our favorite people who we know are huge fans of David Berman's work and chat a bit about what his music meant to us, what it meant, um, what it means to us now and kind of the endearing and, uh, Kind of, uh, forever nature to the music. I think there's something uh, that Stephen had mentioned in our conversation about how timeless it is, and I think that's really, really key to understanding and appreciating um, his work. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And um, listening to a lot of Silver Jews in the wake of his death, and also in preparing a little bit for this episode, I was struck by that the timelessness of it. I mean, it sounds as good now as it sounds when I got back into the band uh, in, back in the mid-2000s. His themes are universal. It's a shoulder that you can cry on, you can hug and laugh at the same time. It's just really sage advice that we could all certainly use in the year of our Lord 2019. <laughs> Absolutely. Um so what we're going to leave you guys with here uh, is just a playlist of some of our favorite, some of our guest favorite uh, Silver Juice, David Berman songs. Um, and if you haven't heard his music, I'd encourage you to listen through it. If you have, um, we hope that you enjoy this. We hope that these are some of your favorites or that you discover some new ones here. But um just some really fantastic songwriting, some really thoughtful stuff from a uh, really sensitive, wonderful human being that uh, we're sad to have lost. And um, but we're going to continue listening to his music uh, on and on and on.
seem true to you But money lights your world up You're trapped, what can you do? You got Tennessee tendencies And chemical dependencies You make the same old jokes And malapropes on cue Inside the golden days of missing you With the people of Cleveland who suffered for so many years The shattered glass cussed And when it broke it spoke to us It said
let you see the river move But now that your evil dreams came true There on your face A row of teeth will come to replace I know you laughed when I left But you really only hurt yourself When you see your curtain You're a tower without bells You're a negative wishing well Should have checked the stable door For the name of the sire and dam You were always at the dog track With your brother and all
vicious, wicked and pernicious. Please stay clear of that rank abattoir. Her words alarmed me. I was stuck until morning, and in the end, we must be who we are. With no light on the door, I wasn't quite sure. If a night clerk was working with them, and behind a red curtain lived a perilous person, he appeared to have some egg on his chin. Keep away from 
Farmer's Hotel I lived in the power and the light I wish it wasn't Saturday night Cause I can't raise hell No, I can't raise hell for two I wish I had a thousand bucks I wish I was the royal trucks But Mostly I wish, wish I was with you When I was summoned to the phone I knew in my bones that you had died alone Never been promised there'll be a tomorrow. So let's just call it death of an air of sorrows. The death of an air of sorrows. I have not avoided certainty It has always just eluded me I wish I knew I wish I knew for true I wish I had a rhinestone suit I wish I had a new pair of boots But mostly I wish wish I was with you We'd never been promised there'll be a tomorrow So let's just call it the death of an heir of sorrows The death of an heir of sorrows
troubles, no troubles on the line. And I can't stand to see you, I can't stand to see you when you're crying at home. Scotch and penicillin Please try Carlton A cold black maple hanger And husbands on the run I just got back from a dream attack That took me by surprise And in there I met a lady Her name was Shady Sides And she said Someone at the table says 
That's not what I call a life The elephants are so ashamed of their size Closing them down, I tell them you got really eyes Out in the backyard, I used to make like I was a cowboy Set my dog before a hoop and say, Now, boy, now, boy, when the governor's heart fails, the state bird falls from its branch. Icicles on hell's higher hills. Meanwhile, back home. get up early in the morning and I never knew a better place I believe that stars are the headlights of angels driving from heaven to save us, to save us look in the sky they're driving from heaven into our eyes final words are so hard to divide That I'll always remember your pretty eyes, your pretty eyes.
Osiris.